Hey, this is the Nobody Likes Casey McLean podcast. Please check out my stand-up dates at thecaseymcclain.com. Also, follow me on all social media at thecaseymcclain. Check out stand-up clips and videos of mine at youtube.com slash McLean. This podcast is brought to you by Anchor. Anchor is where I host this podcast. It's where the file sits. It's also a great place if you want to start a podcast where you can record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When you're hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast to all the listening platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Whatever you're listening to this podcast on, you can get your podcast to that platform very easily. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Uh, this is Nobody Likes Casey McClain. You know that from the intro, I assume. I think that's what the intro is now. I think it says who this, what this podcast is. Um, come see me do stand-up comedy, please. I would really appreciate it. I'm... Uh, the big one, if you're listening to this when it comes out, is on Friday, uh, Friday, February 19th. I will be at the Jewel Box Theater at the Rendezvous in Seattle for uh, Casey McLean and other funny comedians. The other show features my buddy Greg Beachler, my buddy Richie Armani, working on adding a, another comic or two. So come on out to that. I'll be doing a lot of new material. I'll be doing a lot of... Uh, a lot of... Uh, you know, good material, I guess. New and good material. So come on out. Um, thank you for, uh, for. there's a couple of you out there that have really supported me and come and seen a lot of comedy shows, and I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Uh, I have other dates coming up. Do I care about any of them enough to talk about them right now? Let's take a quick look. Probably not. Probably not yet, anyway. Um, I am... Let's see. I'm going to I'm having pizza with my sister on on Sunday. It's exciting. Oh man. Yeah, I don't have a ton of like road work coming up. I gotta work on filling this calendar out. I've had some uh schedule uncertainty recently, so anyway. Uh the Super Bowl happened. That's like the big news is that the Super Bowl happened. And I was rooting for the Bengals. I think anybody that isn't a Rams fan pretty much should have been rooting for the or I guess if your uh, team is in the Bengals division, you sh- you could be rooting for for the Rams also. But they're like a perfect underdog story. Joe Burrow is so likable. Jamar Chase is so likable. Uh, they're, yeah, I mean, if you were not rooting for the Bengals, you're either a Rams fan or a fucking heartless monster. And uh, I am neither of those things. So it was disappointing. I thought, you know, if you watch the game, I thought that there were, uh, I thought that there were like a couple questionable calls that changed the trajectory of the game. One of them being, by the way, there's a lot of focus right now on the pass interference or holding call that ended up allowing the Rams to, to score. And of course, that's a huge one. But the the play, the first play of uh, the second half, where Joe Burrow threw a seventy five yard touchdown to uh, T Higgins, it was like a pretty obvious offensive pass interference. So I'm not, uh, 
I'm not, I wouldn't say this is a Super Bowl that was decided by the referees, though I imagine people in Ohio might feel slightly differently than, <laughs> than I do. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Pretty, uh, pretty exciting game. I feel for the Bengals fans the same as a Seahawks fan. You got to feel for the Bengals fans. First off, nobody got mad when the Rams passed the ball from the one yard line after failing to run the ball several times, by the way, there's a big, uh, debate, um, not failing from the one. I understand that, but there's always been a debate in Seattle after the, the Super Bowl that the Seahawks lost to the Patriots about whether or not throwing from the one yard line was the right call. I've always defended it. I've always thought it was the right call. Statistics bear it out. It's a incredibly unlikely interception. So unlucky for the Seahawks, but it happened for like a brief synopsis of why I think it was justifiable. The Seahawks, uh, there were like a hundred pass, maybe it was like 60 pass plays from the one yard line that year. And that was the only interception thrown from the one yard line all year. That interception is very, very, very unlikely. And I don't blame. It's interesting to me that people are so quick to blame Pete Carroll. Who's a guy who, by the way, I'm not a defender of Pete Carroll. I was kind of hoping the Seahawks would move on from Pete Carroll this off season, but that's a bad, if if you're mad at anyone, that's maybe a bad play from Russell Wilson, or at least give Russell Wilson part of the blame for fuck's sake. Or, or, uh, who was the receiver? God, I can never think of his name. Oh, oh, why can't I think of it? It's not, I keep thinking, I keep saying Brandon Browner in my mind, who I know is a defensive back. Um, Oh, Jesus. This is going to annoy me. We'll get back there. We'll figure it out. It was the guy that fucking ended up, he had a really unfortunate career-ending injury. Seahawk. Career-ending injury. Ricardo Lockett. That's right. I also knew there was a uh, last name spelling thing. Because his is spelled differently from Tyler Lockett's. I did. I did think that the uh, P Ryan, I think, is his name, the dude, uh, the running back from the the Bengals, who on Joe Burrow's like desperation toss, trying to avoid a sack on fourth down and move the ball forward. It seemed like they never. I will say that the it felt like in many cases the broadcast did a very bad job of replaying things that I found interesting and what I found interesting doesn't necessarily line up directly with what like the announcers found interesting. I have a decent understanding of football and I'd like, sometimes I'd like to see, uh, cause also by the way, on the, uh, on the, um, T Higgins, uh, the offensive, what should have been offensive pass interference, I also think that uh, the Rams were offsides on that play, but they never replayed that part of it or really examined that question. So I absolutely think offensive pass interference should have been called, but I think that it's possible that there would have been, if everything was reviewable, there would have been offsetting penalties. Also, what a great, what a great, uh, I it seems to me, that they've got first off they've gotten so good at replays now the like 
New York review thing is so streamlined compared to even just a couple of years ago, let alone the period of time where guys were like going under a tent uh, on the sideline. The it, we could without horribly damaging the uh, the speed of the game, the efficiency of football. I think we could have a couple more things be reviewable. Reviewable. Yeah. reviewable. One of those things, of course, being I think offensive pass interference. I think pass interference. Period. It's such a huge play, such a huge penalty. But I'd be open to like uh, holding defensive holding specifically, which is an automatic first down or uh, personal fouls. A lot of times, also with these kinds of plays, they. They have a uh, some dramatics that happen after that end up slowing the game down anyway. So, like, on a personal foul, especially one that puts a player down for an injury, I think those should be reviewed because we've seen a fair amount of, like, a violent hit, violent contact that makes people think it's a personal foul, but it was just actually a very violent but perfectly legal hit. Um... I don't know. I mean, I, I, the other thing about it is uh, it's unfortunate for the Bengals because you can say all you want that Jamar Chase is young and that Joe Burrow is young, and these are tr- that, that is true. Undeniable facts that these two guys, they are young relative to their peers in football. But it's so hard to get back to the Super Bowl. I mean, the Seahawks went two years in a row with Russell Wilson at quarterback, the 2014 season, 2015 was the actual year of the game, was the last year that the Seahawks uh, made it out of the divisional round of the playoffs. It's difficult. It's very difficult. I, I will say, like, I've always liked Matt Stafford, and I've it's been interesting to hear how much he is beloved around the league, how other quarterbacks respect him, and the reasons that people have kind of uh, ascribed to those that affection. Like, one of them being that other quarterbacks like him because he has to do everything in Detroit. And they feel like on that, it's like a an ego-boosting thing. Like, yeah, everyone will at least agree that Matt Stafford has to do everything. And I also have to do everything. It's, uh, I don't know about that. I don't know about that one. Maybe it's true. I mean, I, these these aren't, the people I've heard say this aren't necessarily, oh, shit, you know who might have said it? I think it might have been uh, Danny O'Neill. Who, by the way, Danny O'Neill is a great, uh, he's a great, he used to write for the Seattle Times. And he used to be the morning show host on 710 ESPN Seattle. And his uh, his show got canceled in the pandemic. But he, I was actually, I had started listening to his show because uh, I need an alternative to listening to filthy comedy podcasts when my daughter's in the car. And so I was listening to local sports radio, which is fun, by the way. Local sports radio. I kind of, I was actually starting to really like it again. And I, Danny O'Neill's my kind of uh, analyst in that he's like stat driven and a, and a smart guy. I don't need these guys that are like fans of the teams that I like. Though I do think Danny O'Neill is a fan 
of the teams that I like. He's got a new uh, podcast that is attached to his Substack called uh, That Dang Apostrophe, which is pretty good. I really enjoyed it. Five episodes in. Um, oh, my God. Have you guys seen uh, Kanye West trolling Pete Davidson? It's so fucking funny. He's So Kanye is outwardly at least saying that he's trying to bring his family back together. He still loves Kim. He still wants a family. He's mad at Pete Davidson for contributing to the breakup of his marriage, etc. But the shit he's putting out, first off, he spread a rumor that Pete Davidson has AIDS, which is very funny. Uh, he's been calling him Skeet Davidson. Very funny. And just posting embarrassing pictures of him and him and Kim. Kanye's like a master level troll. Also, so I'll make this clear right now. Uh, if something catastrophic and horrible happens, this will be a lot less funny. But at this time when I'm recording this, nothing has, nothing horrible has happened uh, to Kim Kardashian, Pete Davidson, or uh, Kanye West. So, God, it's so fucking funny. Every time I see him call Pete Davidson Skeet Davidson, it makes me laugh. Um, what do I have? What do I have? A couple more brief topics. Uh, my wife and I might be the most compatible Valentine's people in the world. In fact, I think for anniversaries, birthdays, and uh, Valentine's Day, we are the most compatible people on earth. Which is, so, I basically could do without most holidays. My wife isn't quite there, but I actually like one of my favorite things about my wife is the like sentimentality that she has towards holidays and towards family and all that stuff. It's something that I'm not like great at. And she brings out what as this is very corny, but she makes me better. She makes me better, everybody. And uh so for anniversaries for several years our anniversary dinner was Chipotle and Jamba Juice. This started as like my wife just wanted Chipotle and Jamba Juice for an anniversary. Like just she likes both those things. But now it's become like a very fun transition or tra uh, tradition. So we'll have expensive dinners, but it's rarely on our anniversary on Valentine's Day. So we don't have to because one of my – the thing that makes it incredibly compatible for me – is there's almost nothing I hate more in the world than waiting in line. So I don't want to go to fucking a restaurant where they've packed in extra seats for Valentine's Day. I'm not interested in that at all. Um, and for anniversaries and stuff, uh, I'm like, it's just easier especially with a kid. So we did our Valentine's Day celebration on Friday at my wife's uh, suggestion. I feel like I'm about to break this chair I'm sitting in, which would be very embarrassing. I'm also, it makes me really happy that I don't have this episode on video. <laughs> uh 
<laughs> I feel like everyone is just going to be listening, hoping they hear me tumbling to the ground after this. On Friday, we went to see Jackass, the movie, the new Jackass, um, which, by the way, is as good as any Jackass. They haven't lost a step. And there's a thing they're doing that they're like kind of passing the torch to some younger guys. And that's also really cool because I think before the guys we love are completely gone, we'll get to see this kind of like, we'll get to already know and like these, these folks, the guy that seems to be the new leader. If I was going to guess is this dude named Jasper who is very funny. And his dad is on it. Also, he's from, I think, uh, one of the one of the traditional how do you say this nicely he's he calls it the hood he's from the hood in LA I can, I can quote him right am I allowed to quote someone calling something the hood it's very confusing the rules of language are very confusing these days um it's fucking awesome we uh we went to dinner it was an expensive dinner by the way and had a couple drinks went to see this jackass movie and it was very funny to me because my wife, uh, it's my wife is like, we're both, my wife had COVID in uh, December. My daughter had COVID in December. My mom had COVID in December. And so we're all kind of like at a point where, I mean, I, and I never got it from anybody. So, and I've been around a lot of people for comedy and whatnot. So I, I, I'm three times, I mean, how many times do I got to talk about this on the podcast? Three times vaccinated. I think I had a past infection. I think I have natural immunity and three times vaccinated, etc. Okay. So we're kind of like at the point where it's like, what? I mean, truly we thought we had done everything we can do. Now we've really done everything we can do. So my wife is like overall pretty much ready to get rid of the mask, I think. But when we're in public... And she sees someone else not wearing a mask. That makes her angry. And I I actually think I agree with her. And I think there's a justifiable reason. Because I was at a Costco the other day. And I saw I was at the pharmacy. This is, I've said this on the podcast. My move with COVID stuff is just to match the comfort level of the people around me. When I go to Montana and nobody's wearing a mask, I'm fine not wearing a mask. When I go to Seattle and everyone's wearing a mask, I'm fine wearing a mask. When I step into a green room and there's a headliner I haven't met, you want to shake hands, you want to fist bump, whatever you want to do, I'll kiss you on the lips, uh, whatever it is, I'm willing to match that comfort level. Uh, a Costco, so I can walk into a grocery store and especially at a place like that, especially a business with like labor. Not where it's like the owner, but when it's like people who are making an hourly wage, probably a modest hourly wage most of the time. In that case, I will do whatever those people are doing because they are truly the people who have had to experience the fucking brunt of this pandemic. So I will match whatever they're doing. If the staff, and by the way, in Washington, it's a moot point at this point because we still technically have a mask mandate, but I'm talking about in the brief period in Washington state when there was not a mask mandate or in places where there is not a mask mandate. I'll do whatever the staff wants. So 
there is a nice thing. There's like a, a sick part of you, or probably schadenfreude or something, whatever a more uh, intelligent person would say it is, where when you go to a place, I'm, I go to Costco, I'm wearing a mask, a lady comes up, this is at the pharmacy. My mom had a oral surgery, a dental surgery, whatever. Oral surgery sounds, for some reason, upsetting. Uh, she had dental surgery, and I was picking up her prescriptions, and I'm wearing a mask, and a woman comes to the pharmacy counter not wearing a mask, and they say, ma'am, uh, could you please put on a mask? And she says, well, I'd rather not. And then they go, well, you have to if we're going to serve you. And she goes, okay, fine, but I don't have one. Which is like what it, the the ten cent mask you think is going to be. People are going to be like, oh well, shit, then our bad. Go ahead. So they gave her a mask and she angrily put it on. And even though I think that there's like some silliness to the continued mask wearing, I think there's certainly some inconsistency in how the uh, the quote unquote science is applied. Though I believe in a lot of the restrictions or the the recommended precautions or whatever. Um, it is funny to see people who are disrespecting employees get theirs, right? We all kind of enjoy that. Uh, so my wife, we're sitting in this theater and the, there's some people at the end of the aisle who are like, they show up, they're probably drunk. They're being a little bit rowdy. My wife notices that they're not wearing masks, but inside of a movie theater, I don't really know. I haven't been in the theater a lot. I don't know what the... What the protocol is, it feels to me like at a comedy show or a restaurant where when you sit down, you should be allowed to put on. And we were eating the whole fuck. I've got like a feed bag attached to my face, basically. So I'm not putting my mask on very much. But these people at the end, for a couple seconds less time than I had it on, had it on, didn't have a mask on, whatever. And somebody brought him a mask. An employee brought him a mask. My wife had this like, you know, the Karen got shut down moment where she got to see somebody else. Have their, uh, <laughs> get theirs. And then they were like kind of talking. And my wife goes, uh, she's like, these people, it's before the movie started. She's like, these people, they just like, they're fucking talking. They're going to be a problem. And I'm like, listen, okay. If we're sitting down to watch like a Scorsese movie, like a dialogue driven drama, it would be very annoying to have drunk people at the end of the aisle. But if there's any movie that can overpower and maybe even they would help uh, drunk audience members, it's Jackass. There's no plot. There's <laughs> what do we fucking care about the dialogue. It was still incredible. I mean, I'm sure these people were obnoxious during the movie, but we never had to experience it because we were laughing so goddamn hard. Just the purest comedy. Uncontroversial, apolitical. There's no moral there's nothing in fact the maybe the, i think the only moral is the song that they play at the end if you're going to be dumb you got to be tough and i think that's probably a good motto to live by for you fucking dummies all right the last thing is uh, i want to talk about this uh, dave Chappelle yellow spring thing because it's a perfect example of the way that we react as a culture without having not only, I'm not saying all the information, but we had none of the information, basically. Which is to say that, uh, so 
a video surfaced of of Dave Chappelle talking at a city council meeting about this uh, this bill that he was against, or this this uh, maybe it's not a bill. I don't know. I'm not a fucking politician, but ultimately he was against this development being developed in Yellow Springs, Ohio, where he lives. And he went to this meeting and said that basically if they go forward with that development, he will stop investing in the city and will pull his investments out of the city of Yellow Springs. And uh, so this was, we now know this now, by the way, because what it was being reported was as it was being reported as Dave Chappelle speaks out against low-income housing, tries to prevent low-income housing. And people don't do a moment of fucking research. They just immediately go, well, Dave Chappelle's changed. He's a piece of shit. I used to admire him. They're trying to trash Dave Chappelle the same way that they're doing it to Joe Rogan. And I'm and I'm not like, again, I don't know how many fucking times I have to say this. I'm not like a, a Joe Rogan guy. I don't love Joe Rogan. But what I do think is that the internet and social media and podcasting and YouTube have all replaced – these are quote-unquote private companies that everyone talks about, but they've replaced our public utilities functionally. So they're not operating like traditional private companies would. So I do think that a modernization of free speech does apply – to Dave Chappelle on Netflix and uh, Joe Rogan on his podcast. But also, this pretty transparent attempt to destroy Dave Chappelle without, again, like without even... I tried, by the way. When the story came out and everyone was reacting and and assuming that Dave Chappelle was not the person that they've always known, which you also don't know him, but it does, it didn't make sense. Like, Oh, all of a sudden this guy just doesn't care about poor people. All of a sudden this guy doesn't care about presumably disproportionately, uh, traditionally marginalized groups. Uh, it didn't make any sense. And then this dude, Toure, did some investigation beyond what I was able to do. I did. I looked into, I tried to like look into it. Cause I'm like, first off, it just doesn't make any sense to me. And it turns out that like this 55 acre development that they were working on, uh, like one and a half acres would have been, uh, would have been low income housing. And, that was only in there as a concession because the city of Yellow Springs didn't want it without the low-income housing. And at that point, Dave Chappelle was still against it because it would put this, it would have, first off, vastly increased the population of Yellow Springs. It would have made living in Yellow Springs unaffordable for a lot of the people. There's like a lot of reasons. There's a lot of reasons. This complex incredibly intelligent guy, believe it or not, had a lot of reasons for being concerned about this development. And it's just, it's, it's so such a perfect indication 
of where we are at as a culture, in my opinion, that this guy who we who we've admired, who's been an independent thinker since the fucking nineties, and who's turned down money, who has put his money where his mouth is, which is something that's very valuable to me. I've talked about it on this podcast a lot for his principles that that guy, we go, well, we don't believe that guy. What we believe is a real estate developer. That's who we really think is morally good is a real estate developer, not a guy who has 25 years of like caring about low-income people, at least reputedly and caring about black people, at least reputedly. no, We're going to throw everything he's done away because a real estate developer that we don't know says that Dave Chappelle doesn't care about low-income housing. Fuck you. That's a perfect example. And it's so stupid and we're so fucking – we're getting dumber and dumber. We're falling for this over and over and over again. And it's so embarrassing. All right. I'm just desperately hoping that my work – I don't have my webcam on for some reason for my day job all right thank you guys please come see me do stand-up comedy watch a baby weight ep thank you for listening to the podcast i will talk to you soon